Chapter 12 of The Double. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Siddharth. The Double by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated by Constance Garnet. Chapter 12. Petrushka came in swaggering with a strangely casual manner and an air of vulgar triumph on his face. It was evident that he had some idea in his head that he felt thoroughly within his rights, and he looked like an unconcerned spectator, that is, as though he were anybody's servant rather than Mr. Golikin's. I say, you know, my good lad, our hero began breathlessly, what time is it? Without speaking, Petrushka went behind his partition, then returned, and in a rather independent tone announced that it was nearly half past seven well that's all right my lad that's all right come you see my boy allow me to tell you my good lad that everything i fancy is at an end between us petrushka said nothing well now as everything is over between us Tell me openly, as a friend, where have you been? Where have I been? To see good people, sir. I know, my good lad, I know. I have always been satisfied with you, and I give you a character. What are you doing with them now? Why, sir? You know yourself. We all know a decent man won't teach you any harm. I know, my dear fellow, I know. Nowadays. Good people are rare, my lad. Prize them, my friend. Well, how are they? To be sure, they... Only I can't serve you any longer, sir. As your honour must know. I know, my dear fellow. I know your zeal and devotion. I have seen it all, my lad. I have noticed it. I respect you, my friend. I respect a good... An honest man, even though he's a lackey. Why, yes, to be sure. The like of us, of course, as you know yourself, are as good as anybody. That's so. We all know, sir, that there's no getting on without a good man. Very well, very well, my boy. I feel it. Come, here's your money, and here's your character. Now, we'll kiss and say good-bye, brother. Come, now, my lad, I'll ask one service of you, one last service, said Mr. Gullikin in a solemn voice. You see, my dear boy, all sorts of things happen. Sorrow is concealed in gilded palaces, and there's no escaping it. You know, my boy, I've always been kind to you, my boy. Petrushka remained mute. I believe I've always been kind to you, my dear fellow. Come. How much linen have we now, my dear boy? Well, it's all there. Linen, shirts, six, three pairs of socks, four shirt fronts, flannel vests, of underlinen, two sets. You know all that yourself. I've got nothing of yours, sir. I look after my master's belongings. Sir, I am like that, sir. 
we all know, and I've never been guilty of anything of, of the sort, sir. You know yourself, sir. I trust you, my lad, I trust you. I didn't mean that, my friend. I didn't mean that, you know, my lad, I tell you what. To be sure, sir, we know that already. Why, when I used to be in service at the General Stolniakov's, I lost the lace through the families going away to Saratov. They have an estate there. I didn't mean that, my lad. I didn't mean that. Don't think anything of the sort, my dear fellow. To be sure, it's easy, as you know yourself, sir, to take away the character of folks like us, and I've always given satisfaction. Ministers, generals, senators, counts, I've served them all. I've been at Prince Swichatkin's, at Colonel Periborkin's, at General Nedobarov's. They've gone away too. They've gone to their property, as we all know. Yes, my lad, very good, my lad, very good. And I'm going away, my friend. A different path lies before each man. No one can tell what road he may have to take. Come, my lad, put out my clothes now. Lay out my uniform too, and my other trousers, my sheets, quilts, and pillows. Am I to pack them in a bag? Yes, my lad, yes, the bag, please. Who knows what may happen to us? Come, my dear boy, you can go and find a carriage. A carriage? Yes, my lad, a carriage, a roomy one. Take it by the hour, and don't imagine anything. Are you planning to go far away, sir? I don't know, my lad, I don't know that either. I think you had better pack my feather bed too. What do you think, my lad? I'm relying on you, my dear fellow. Is your honour setting off at once? Yes, my friend, yes, circumstances have turned out so. So it is, my dear fellow, so it is. To be sure, sir, when we were in the regiment, the same thing happened to the lieutenant. They eloped from a country gentleman's. Eloped? How, my dear fellow? Yes, sir, eloped. And they were married in another house. Everything was got ready beforehand. There was a hue and cry after them. The late prince took their part, and so it was all settled. They were married, but how is it, my dear fellow? How did you come to know, my boy? Why, to be sure, the earth is full of rumours, sir. We know, sir, we've all, to be sure. There's no one without sin. Only I'll tell you now. Sir, let me speak plainly and vulgarly, sir. Since it has come to this, I must tell you, sir, you have an enemy. You've a rival, sir, a powerful rival. So there. I know, my dear fellow, I know. You know yourself, my dear fellow. So you see, I'm relying upon you. What are we to do now, my friend? How do you advise me? If you're in that way now, if you've come, so to say, to such a pass, sir, you'll have to make some purchases, sir. Say, some sheets, pillows, another fair, another feather bed, a double one, a good quilt. Here are the neighbours downstairs. She's a shopkeeper, sir. She has a good fox fur cloak, so you might have a look at it at once. You need it now, sir. It's a good cloak, sir. 
satin lined with fox very good my lad very good i agree i rely upon you i rely upon you entirely a cloak by all means if necessary only make haste make haste for god's sake make haste i'll buy the cloak only please make haste it will soon be eight o'clock make haste for god's sake my dear lord hurry up my lad petrushka ran up to gather together a bundle of linen pillows quilt sheets and all sorts of odds and ends tied them up and rushed headlong out of the room meanwhile mr golikin seized the letter once more but he could not read it clutching his devoted head he leaned against the wall in a state of stupefaction he could do nothing either and could not even tell what was happening to him at last saying that time was passing and neither petrushka nor the fur cloak had made their appearance mr golikin made up his mind to go himself opening the door into the entry he heard below noise talk disputing and scuffling several of the women of the neighboring flats were shouting talking and protesting about something mr golikin knew what petrushka's voice was heard then there was a sound of footsteps my goodness they'll bring all the world in here moaned mr golikin wringing his hands in despair running back into his room he fell almost senseless on the sofa with his face on the pillow after lying a minute in this way he jumped up without waiting for petrushka he put on his goloshes his hat and his great coat snatched up his papers and ran headlong downstairs nothing is wanted nothing my dear fellow i will manage myself everything myself i don't need you for the time and meantime things may take a bitter turn perhaps mr golikin muttered to petrushka meeting him on the stair then he ran out into the yard away from the house there was a faintness in his heart he had not yet made up his mind what his position what he was to do how he was to act in the present critical position yes how am i to act lord have mercy on me and that all this should happen he cried out at last in despair tottering along the street at random that all this must needs happen why but for this but for just this everything would have been put right at one stroke at one skilful vigorous firm stroke it would have been set right i would have my finger cut off to have set right and i know indeed how it would have been settled this is how it would have been managed i'd have gone on the spot said how it was with your permission sir i am neither here nor there in it i would say my dear sir things aren't done like that there's no accepting an impostor in our office an impostor my dear sir is a man who is worthless and of no service to his country do you understand that my dear sir i should say that's how it would be but no after all things are not like that not a bit like that i am talking nonsense like a fool a suicidal fool it's not like that at all you suicidal fool this is how things are done though you profligate man well what am i going to do with myself now what am i fit for now come what are you fit for now for instance you golikin you you worthless fellow 
Well, what now? I must get a carriage. Hire a carriage and bring it here. We shall get our feet wet without a carriage, says she. And who could ever have thought it? Fee, fee, a young lady of virtuous behavior. Well, well, the girl we all thought of so much of. You've distinguished yourself, madam. There is no doubt of that. You've distinguished yourself, and it all comes from a moral education. And now that I've looked into it and seen through it all, I see that it is due to nothing else but immortality instead of looking after her as a child. And there are at times they stuff her with sweets and dainties, and the old man is always doting over her, saying, My dear, my love, my beauty, saying, We'll marry you to account. And now she has come forward herself and shown her cards, as though to say, That's her little game. Instead of keeping her at home as a child, they sent her to a boarding school, to a French madame, and emigre, a madame Falbalas, or something. She learned all sorts of things at that madame Falbalas, and this is how it always turns out. Come, she says, and be happy. Be in a carriage, she says, at such a time, under the widows, and sing a sentimental serenade in the Spanish style. I await you, and I know you love me, and we will fly together and live in a hut. But the fact is, it's impossible since it has come to that, madam. It's impossible. It is against the law to abduct an innocent, respectable girl from her parents' roof without their sanction. And if you come to that, why, what for, and what need is there to do it? Come, she should marry a suitable person, the man marked out by destiny, and that would be the end of it. But I am in the government service, I might lose my birth through it. I might be arrested for it, madam. I tell you that, if you do not know it, it's that German woman's doing. She's at the bottom of it all, that witch. She cooked the whole kettle of fish. For they've slandered a man, for they've invented a bit of woman's gossip about him. A regular performance by the advice of Andrei Filipovich. That's what it came from. Otherwise, how could Petrushka be mixed up in it? What was he to do with it? What need for the rogue to be in it? No, I cannot, madam. I cannot possibly. Not on any account. No, madam. This is the time you must really excuse me. It's all you're doing, madam. It's not at all the German's doing. It's not the witch's doing at all, but simply yours. For the witch is a good woman. For the witch is not to blame in any way. It's your fault, madam. It's you who are to blame. Let me tell you. I shall not be charged with a crime through you, madam. A man might be ruined. A man might lose sight of himself and not be able to restrain himself. A wedding indeed. And how is it all going to end? And how will it be arranged? I would give a great deal to know all that. So our hero reflected in his despair. Coming to himself suddenly, he observed that he was standing somewhere in Litany Street. The weather was awful. It was a thaw. Snow and rain were falling. Just as at that memorable time 
when at the dread hour of midnight all Mr. Golikin's trouble had begun. This is a nice night for the journey, thought Mr. Golikin, looking at the weather. It's death all round. Good Lord! Where am I to find a carriage, for instance? I believe there's something black there at the corner. We'll see. We'll investigate. Lord have mercy on us. Our hero went on, bending his weak and tottering steps in the direction in which he saw something that looked like a cab. No? I know what I'll do. I'll go straight and fall on my knees, if I can, and humbly back, saying, I put my fate in your hands, in the hands of my superiors, saying, Your Excellency, be a protector and a benefactor, and then I'll say this and that, and explain how it is and how that is an unlawful act. Do not destroy me. I look upon you as my father. Do not abandon me. Save my dignity, my honour, my name, my reputation, and save me from a miscreant, a vicious man. He is another person, Your Excellency, and I am another person too. He is a part. I am really myself by myself. Your Excellency, really myself by myself. That's what I shall say. I cannot be like him. Change him. Dismiss him. Give orders for him to be changed and a godless, licentious impersonation to be suppressed, that it may not be an example to others. Your Excellency, I look upon you as a father. Those in authority over us, our benefactors and protectors, are bound, of course, to encourage such impulses. There is something chivalrous about it. I shall say, I look upon you, my benefactor and superior, as a father, and trust my fate to you and I will not say anything against it. I put myself in your hands, and retire from the affair myself. That's what I could say. Well, my man, are you a cabman? Yes. And what a care for the evening. And does your honour want to go far? For the evening, for the evening. Wherever I have to go, my man, wherever I have to go, does your honour want to drive out of town? Yes, my friend, out of town, perhaps. I quite don't know myself yet. I can't tell you for certain, my man. Maybe you see it will be all settled for the best. We all know, my friend. Yes, of course, sir. We all know. Please, God, it may. Yes, my friend, yes, thank you, my dear fellow. Come, what's your fare, my good man? Do you want to set off at once? Yes, at once. That is, no. You must wait at a certain place. A little while. Not long. You'll have to wait. Well, if you hire me for the whole time, I couldn't ask less than six roubles for a weather like this. Oh, very well, my friend, and I thank you, my dear fellow. So come. You can take me now, my good man. Get in. Allow me. I'll put it straight a bit. Now will you wanna get in? Where shall I drive? To Ismailovsky Bridge, my friend. The driver pumped down on the box, with difficulty roused his pair of lean nags from the trough of hay, and was setting off for Ismailovsky Bridge. But suddenly Mr. Golikin pulled the cord, stopped the cab, and besought him in an imploring voice not to drive to Ismailovsky Bridge, but to turn back to another street. The driver turned into another street, and then minutes later Mr. Golikin newly hired Equipage was standing before the house in which His Excellency had a flat. Mr. Golitkin got out of the carriage, begged the driver to be sure 
to wait and with a sinking heart ran upstairs to the third story and pulled the bell the door was opened and our hero found himself in the entry of his excellency's flat is his excellency graciously pleased to be at home said mr golikin addressing the man who opened the door what do you want as the servant scrutinizing mr golikin from head to foot i my friend i am golikin the titular councillor golikin to say something or the other to explain you must wait you cannot my friend i cannot wait my business is important it's business that admits of no delay but from whom have you come have you brought papers no my friend i am on my own account announce me my friend say something or the other explain i'll reward you my good man i cannot his excellency is not at home he has visitors come at ten o'clock in the morning Take in my name, my good man. I can't wait. It's impossible. You'll have to answer for it, my good man. Why? Go and announce him. What's the matter with you? Want to save your shoe leather? Said another lackey, who was lolling on the bench and had not uttered a word till then. Shoe leather? I was told not to show anyone up. You know, the time is in the morning. Announce him. Have you lost your tongue? I'll announce him, all right. I've not lost my tongue. It's not my orders. I've told you. It's not my orders. Walk inside. Mr. Golikin went into the outermost room. There was a clock on the table. He glanced at it. It was half-past eight. His heart ached within him. Already he wanted to turn back. But at that very moment, the footman standing at the door of the next room had already boomed out Mr. Golikin's name. Oh, what lungs, thought our hero in indescribable misery. Why, you ought to have said. He has come most humbly and meekly to make an explanation. Something. Be graciously pleased to see him. Now, the whole business is ruined. All my hopes are scattered to the winds. But, however, never mind. There was no time to think. Moreover, the lackey returning said please walk in and led mr golikin into the study when our hero went in he felt as though he were blinded for he could see nothing at all but three or four figures seemed flitting before his eyes oh yes the other visitors flashed through mr golikin's mind at last our hero could distinguish clearly the star on the black coat of his excellency and by the degrees advanced to seeing the black coat, and at last gained the power of complete vision. What is it? said a familiar voice above Golikin. The titular counsellor, Golikin, your excellency. Well, I have come to make an explanation. How? What? Why, yes, I have come for an explanation, your excellency. But who are you? Mr. Golikin, your excellency, a titular counsellor. Well, what is he to want? Why, this is how it is. I look upon you as a father. I retire. Defend me from my enemy. What's this? We all know. What do we all know? Mr. Golikin was silent. His chin began twitching a little. Well? I thought it was Kaivaldus, Your Excellency. There is something Kaivaldus in it, I said. And I look upon my superior as a father. 
This is what I thought. Protect me. I tear earfully, and that such impulse ought to be encouraged. His Excellency turned away. Our hero, for some minutes, could distinguish nothing. There was a weight on his chest. His breathing was laboured. He did not know where he was standing. He felt ashamed and said, God knows what followed. Recovering himself, our hero noticed that His Excellency was talking with his guests, and seemed to be briskly and emphatically discussing something with them. One of the visitors, Mr. Golikin, recognized at once. This was Andrei Filipovich. He knew no one else. Yet there was another person that seemed familiar, a tall, thick-set figure, middle-aged, possessed of very thick eyebrows and whiskers, and a significant sharp expression. On his chest was an order, and in his mouth a cigar. This gentleman was smoking and nodding significantly without taking the cigar out of his mouth, glancing from time to time at Mr. Golitkin. Mr. Golitkin felt awkward. He turned away his eyes and immediately saw another very strange visitor through a door which our hero had taken for a looking-glass. Just as he had done before, he made his appearance. We know who, a very intimate friend and acquaintance of Mr. Golikin's, Mr. Golikin Jr., had actually been, till then, in a little room close by, hurriedly writing something. Now, apparently, he was needed, and he came in with papers under his arm, went up to His Excellency, and, while waiting for exclusive attention to be paid him, succeeded very adroitly in putting his spoke into the talk and consultation, taking his place a little behind Andrei Filipovich's back, and partly screening him from the gentleman smoking the cigar. Apparently Mr. Golitkin, Jr. took an intense interest in the conversation, to which he was listening now in a gentlemanly way, nodding his head, fidgeting with his feet, smiling, continually looking at His Excellency, as it were beseeching him with his eyes to let him put his words in. The scoundrel, thought Mr. Golikin, and involuntarily he took a step forward. At this moment, His Excellency turned round and came rather hesitatingly towards Mr. Golikin. Well, that's all right, that's all right. Well, run along. Now I'll look into your case and give orders for you to be taken. At this point, His Excellency glanced at the gentleman with the thick whiskers. The latter nodded in assent. Mr. Golikin felt and distinctly understood what they were asking, that they were taking him for something different, and not looking at him in the proper light at all. In one way or the other, I must explain myself, he thought. I must say, this is how it is, Your Excellency. At this point, in his perplexity, he dropped his eyes to the floor, and to his great astonishment he saw a good-sized patch of something white on His Excellency's boots. Can there be a hole in them? thought Mr. Golikin. Mr. Golikin was, however, soon convinced that His Excellency's boots were not split, but they were only shining brilliantly, a phenomenon fully explained by the fact that they were patent leather and highly polished. It is what they call blick, thought our hero. The term is used particularly in Arthur's studios. In other places with such reflected light is called a river of light. At this point Mr. Golikin raised his eyes 
and saw that the time had come to speak, for things might easily end badly. Our hero took a step forward. I say this is how it is, Your Excellency, he said, and there's no accepting impostors nowadays. His Excellency made no answer, but rang the bell violently. Our hero took another step forward. He is a vile, vicious man, Your Excellency, said our hero beside himself, and faint with terror, though he still pointed boldly and resolutely at, at his unworthy twin, who was fidgeting about near his excellency i say this is how it is and i am alluding to a well-known person there was a general sensation at mr golitkin's words and if filipovich and the gentleman with the cigar nodded their heads his excellency impatiently tucked at the bell to summon the servants at this point mr golitkin jr came forward in his turn your excellency he said i humbly beg permission to speak there was something very resolute in Mr. Golitkin Jr.'s voice. Everything showed that he felt himself completely in the right. "'Allow me to ask you,' he began again, anticipating His Excellency's reply in his eagerness, and this time addressing Mr. Golitkin, "'Allowing me to ask you, in whose presence you are making this explanation, before whom are you standing, in whose room are you?' Mr. Golikin Jr. was in a state of extraordinary excitement, flushed and glowing with wrath and indignation that were positively tears in his eyes. A lackey, appearing in the doorway, roared at the top of his voice the name of some new arrivals, the Basavriuk House. A good aristocratic name hailing from Little Russia, thought Mr. Golikin, and at that moment he felt someone lay a very friendly hand on his back. Then a second hand was laid on his back. Mr. Golitkin's infamous twin was stripping about in front, leading the way, and our hero saw clearly that he was being led to the big doors of the room. Just as it was at all Sophie Ivanovich's, he thought, and he found himself in the hall. Looking around, he saw beside him two of the Excellencies, lackeys, and his twin. The great coat, the great coat, the great coat, the great coat, my friend, the great coat of my best friend, whispered the depraved man, snatching the coat from one of the servants, and by the way, of a nasty and ungentlemanly joke, flinging it straight at Mr. Golikin's head, extricating himself from under his coat. Mr. Golikin distinctly heard the two lackeys nigger, but without listening to anything or paying attention to it, he went out of the hall and found himself on the lighted stairs, Mr. Golikin Jr. following him. "'Good-bye, Your Excellency,' he shouted, after Mr. Golikin Sr. "'Scoundrel!' our hero exclaimed beside himself. "'Well, scoundrel, then?' "'Depraved man!' "'Well, depraved man, then,' answered Mr. Golikin's unworthy enemy." and with his characteristic baseness he looked down from the top of the stairs straight into mr golikin's face as though begging him to go on our hero spat with indignation and ran out of the front door he was so shattered so crushed that he had no recollection of how he got into the cab or who helped him in coming to himself he found that he was being driven to fotanka to Ismailovsky Bridge, then, thought Mr. Golitkin, 
At this point Mr. Golikin tried to think of something else, but could not. There was something so terrible that he could not explain it. Well, never mind, our hero concluded, and he drove to Ismailovsky Bridge. End of chapter 12